welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today I got my first tag team partner, one of my oldest friends in the wrestling business, Lance Storm, returns. He's back on Talk is Jericho to help me tell the story of our infamous 1994 Night of the Legends match in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the Thrill Seekers versus the Heavenly Bodies. The 25th anniversary of that match just passed a few weeks ago. It was not only one of our best in Smoky Mountain, one of the most legendary matches in the history of the promotion, and my very last match for Jim Cornette's uh, SMW. Um, I did it also with a broken arm. Yeah, I wrestled with a broken arm. That's a true story. Lance and I were the Thrill Seekers versus Jimmy Del Rey and Tom Pritchard, the Heavenly Bodies. We were at the Knoxville Civic Center, August 5th, 1994. And you can watch it along with us uh, coming up a little later on the show. You can find that on YouTube. Just type in Thrill Seekers Heavenly Bodies. And when we get to the watch along, uh, Lance and I will warn you and tell you to press start and we will reminisce and remember it together. So let's reunite the Thrill Seekers tag team for Night of the Legends 25 years later right now on Talk is Jericho. Here we go. All right, so it's the uh, uh, 25 years ago uh, Lance Storm and I were uh, still living in Tennessee, Morristown for me, Knoxville for Lance, uh, and we had the huge Night of the Legends show for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. First of all, isn't it crazy that that was 25 years ago? Yeah, it is, you know, because my, my 50th birthday was just a little while ago, so it was half my life ago, which is crazy to me. It does, doesn't feel like that long. And then, of course, classic uh, Lance comment, it, it was more than half your life ago. Like, would you say I've been alive longer since than before? Because <laughs> we had been there. I think we, we, we got there in about um, February. Or we started February of 94. We, we did the videos in February. Uh, I know I moved there right after I got married in May, but we did all those great uh, Thrill Seeker Rock America videos, I think, in February. Yeah. Yes. So basically February, March, April, May, June, July. So we've been in the in the in the territory for about six months uh, at this point in time. And then the show Night of the Legends was August 5th, 1994, and it was held in the Knoxville Civic Center. And that's where we first saw any type of Smoky Mountain wrestling because Cornette brought us in the weekend of that show to kind of impress us with how big the crowd was going to be. Yeah, it was his Sunday Bloody Sunday show. It was actually the first night that Terry Funk ever did a moonsault. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And I remember thinking, too, like, oh, my God, this place is so huge and it's so packed. And I don't know. Have, have you been back there since ever? Did you work there at all? Yeah, I I, I don't know if it was WCW or, or who, but, yeah, I did one show. <laughs> and it's it's not as impressive as we remember it to be. It's so funny because I was actually in there. I remember I had a house show there against Kane. Of course, Glenn had also wrestled for a while for Smoky Mountain. And I remember saying to him, like, dude, like, this is like somebody took the Knoxville Civic Center and put it in the Star Wars trash compactor. <laughs> it just seemed like so tiny. But when we were there, it was massive because obviously you had, you know, I think at the time they probably had three. I don't know, 3,000 people or 2,500 people. And and, that, and the place, I think, held like five. So Night of the Legends, you know, we'll get to that, was 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 jam-packed, sold out. But I remember just thinking, like, uh, just how big it was. And then the fact that the Night of the Legends was probably double the original crowd, it might as well seem like the Tokyo Dome. Well, that and it's just frame of reference, right? Like, I don't know what the biggest show you'd worked at that point, but, 
you know, I hadn't yet worked the Sky Dome and other places. So it's like it just felt so gigantic that it was, you know, you felt like stars, which was smart on Cornette's part because he brought us in for that big show. And, you know, we were young enough to think, wow, every show's like this. We need to work here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of course, that wasn't the case. <laughs> Most of the shows were 200 people in, you know, Bucksnort, Kentucky. But uh, at least that was it was kind of like working for WAR where you'd have a lot of the smaller shows and then they would base it every three months on, you know, on the sumo arena or whatever it could be, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and now had we worked Knoxville Civic Center uh, before that, before Night of the Legends? I Yes, we would have because we had done a couple of programs with the heavenly bodies. And I'm pretty sure that was our regular Knoxville, you know, big show of the month. So I, I, again, I did a couple of shows without you when you were still finishing up some war dates. So I don't know if you did, but I'm all but positive. I worked with the, uh, the well done guys there. Yeah. We might've done one of those penalty box matches there. <laughs> we we did a, a series of matches where um we were against the heavenly bodies oh, sorry not, sorry not the heavenly, but just well done and they were kind of they were like they did the initial program for us when we got to smoky mountain because we got in uh and i'm sure you can expand upon this because your your memory is really good as well as mine but i think J- jim brought us in to be kind of the heir parents to the rock and roll express and so when we came in, we worked a lot of kind of job guy matches. And then the first program we had was well done. Yeah, we, we did the loop, as they say, for I think like three months with well done. You know, we and I think we beat them every time. I'm not sure why we kept coming back every month. <laughs> but yeah, the big last one was the penalty box matches where if you cheated, you got sent to the penalty box and had like a two minute timeout. And it was a two on one advantage for their team. And I, I think the penalty box in most towns was like a, an upside uh, a desk turned on its side with a chair behind it. And you just sat in the corner by ringside. Exactly. But you know, it's, it's, it's funny because what spurred my, uh, my idea to do this show is on, uh, on the Jim Cornette experience recently. He also watches the show back and talks about how the idea for the thrill seekers was that, you know, the rock and roll aren't going to be around forever. I have to build somebody to kind of take their place and then goes on a rant about how green we were because you know we were fairly green i mean you and i had had some international experience but certainly working in the states and especially in the south um really didn't know the style or, or what to expect yeah really green on promos and personality obviously me more than you but you know Working in, I worked, you know, CWA Catch and the FMW tour before this, which was all more pure sport based. So from a personality and promo standpoint, I was green as grass. You were far better than me, but still had a ways to go. Yeah. And then working wise, I remember we, we came in there. We're just like throwing these guys around with tiger suplexes and, you know, dragon suplexes and all this crazy stuff, which if you're going to, to, to Tennessee where they're still basically doing you know, the poo-poo spot and the water pump spot and all these type of things. <laughs> <laughs> we were coming in there. They must have hated us. Well, the thing is, though, we got good reactions. You know, it's not like we didn't get over. The crowd liked us. I'm talking about the other people. I'm talking about the guys in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know at times I had to try to uh, calm well done down because they'd get hot at you for, for doing so much. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's just the style that we had. And I remember, like, you and I said, this is what we're going to do. This is what they brought us here for. So let's do that. 
you know, and um, it just, it just it, let's ref, let's refresh people's memories who don't know what the poo-poo spot is. This would be, um, you might remember better. Did somebody jump on Jimmy Del Rey's stomach and then he? Has no, I, I think Jimmy Del Rey would throughout the beginning of the match start selling that his stomach wasn't feeling well. And just running spots, he'd be acting kind of weird, and he'd tag out to to Doctor Tom, and then he'd have the oh no look on his face, and he'd grab his stomach, and he'd put his other hand on his butt like he's about to crap his pants, and he's trying to hold it in, and he'd run back to the locker room, and then he'd stay in the locker room for a few minutes, and he would take a piece of long piece of toilet paper, tuck it in like the back elastic band of his trunks, and then he'd run back out feeling all happy and fine, like he'd finally relieved himself. And the crowd would laugh because he's got the toilet paper drag, uh, dragging behind in his trunks. And this is a high spot, ladies and gentlemen, that people would do in the South, that heels would do in the South, uh, that uh, would get responses. <laughs> yes. And then we're out there trying to – we, well, I think you were actually working there at the time. But I was a big fan of the, you know, the early 90s New Japan junior heavyweight style of like Jushin Liger and Otani. And – the people in Smoky Mountain wanted the poo poo spot. <laughs> so where 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 are we at this point in time? Let's go back. Let's say you know a month before Night of the Legends, because Night of the Legends was was uh, the biggest show in Smoky Mountain wrestling history, and the idea was to base it around all of these returning old timers like Ron Wright and. Uh, you know, the Fuller brothers or Buddy Landell or, you know, Road Warrior Hawk and Terry Funk and all these guys that had kind of made a name for themselves in that area and then based around kind of the hottest hottest feuds in the company. Yeah, he was building to the big show. The, the main event, I believe, was the Coward Waves of Flag match and it was Cornette's crew. It was like Bruiser Bedlam. Um, I don't even remember who the other heels were now. But yeah, there was uh, Road Warrior Hawk. Oh, it was Terry and Dory Funk, Bruiser Bedlam, and one other person against uh, you know Road Warrior Hawk and probably you know Tracy Smothers and Bullet Bob Armstrong. And it was and they you know did the Hall of Heroes or Legends Hall of Fame induction with all the legends and stuff. And then the peak of the big feuds. And this was the match that was because we'd been working underneath we'd been beating everybody but we'd only been in the bottom half of the card up to this point and this was the big angle that was going to put us up into main events yeah it just just for the record it was bob armstrong War, road warrior hawk and tracy smothers defeating bruiser bedlam dory funk jr and terry funk with jim Cornette in a coward waves the flag six-man tag team match so you know, and once again, this is kind of a southern—not kind of—it's the epitome of southern wrestling. So coward waving the flag, meaning I don't know the southern flag, perchance or whatever, maybe whatever flag Bob Armstrong would want you to to, to wave. Well, no, it was a white flag. It was oh, the, gotcha. It was waving the white flag of surrender. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So so that's kind of the vibe. You also had Dirty White Boy defeating Terry Gordy. Uh, of course, you had Thrill Seekers versus Heavenly Bodies. You had Rock and Roll Express versus Brian Lee and Chris Candido. Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater versus Ronnie Garvin and the, and the Stomper. That was kind of the uh, the Legends match there. Doug Furness defeating Killer Kyle. And then the opening match was uh, Chris Walker defeating Richard Slinger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to be called Dick Slinger. You're not allowed to say that. But I think because I remember Cornette saying like he was building towards the show, and he said if I don't, he said this to us candidly, if I don't sell this show out, 
I'll run naked to the ring and dance to Back in Black by ACDC. And I was like, that might not be a good way to sell out the next show. Because <laughs> <if you want laughs> <to. laughs> you know, at the time, like, listen, this is a perfect example of a guy who's running a company and he's spreading himself pretty thin. Same way that Paul E. did and Bischoff did and, and Vince has done at times where he's just losing his mind. I remember he was probably close to 300 pounds and, you know, carry a baseball bat in his trunk and smash people's windows if they pissed him off. Like, Jimmy was pretty nutty at this point in time. Well, yeah, and he was working for WWF at the time, too. So it's like he's managing Yokozuna in WWF. He's doing their TV, still trying to keep his own promotion going. So he was spread really thin. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, too, where, it, you know, my memory serves that, you know, while we were supposed to be, you know, mid-card and moving forward, often got bumped even further down the card at the house shows because I think others were politicking to keep us down. Right, because once again, here's a couple, you know, I, I was, well, I'm 23 here and you're 24, maybe? Uh, I was 94, so I was just turned 25. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you just turned 25 and I was, you know, a shade under under 24 myself. So a couple of kids coming in here just working our asses off, you know, quote-unquote stiffing guys, which we never were stiff. I mean, it's obviously solid Calgary style, but there's a lot of bumps and, you know, the, the Rock and Roll Express's fa- uh, finish is, is a double drop kick. Our finish is a double drop kick from the top rope. So it's probably like, you know, I'm sure we had a lot of people politicking against us. But the idea was, like you said, was we had kind of gone through the ranks. We'd work with Well Done and, and whatever kind of random, you know, teams there was. And then the idea was to have the big kind of coronation, the, the coming out party, by having us beat the heavenly bodies who were no longer even officially in the territory as they were working in the WWE at this point. So the idea was for us to, to face the bodies in this huge angle, this huge match, beat them. And then we would, I don't know. I don't know where we were supposed to go from there, but then we would kind of be a true main event tag team. Well, we were going to win the tag team titles because we'd already done the promotional photos with the belts. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause I've actually got, um, I don't even remember. Someone sent it to me, but I remember we took photos with the belts and I've got a copy of us holding the Smoky Mountain tag team titles. And like, you're done after this program, right? You know, this is your last match in the territory. So it's like, we were going to be winning the belts. I'm assuming from Brian Lee and, and, Chris Candido right shortly after this because Cornette already did the promo photos. It's interesting though. He did the, cause uh, you know, and we'll tell the whole story and it's, it's pretty a legendary story about how I broke my arm earlier in the day. But I'm wondering now, as I look at the card where the rock and roll express defeated Brian Lee and Chris Candido to win the tag team championships. I wonder, you know, I mean, I don't know if Cornette knew how, how long I'd be out for, or if it spoiled his plans. I wonder if he would have kept the titles on Lee and Candido had I not got hurt and then after we beat the bodies, we would go on to face them. Could have been, yeah, because I know we did the photos. I can once yeah. this podcast drops, I'll tweet out the photo of us with the Smoky Mountain tag team belts, which we've never won. Right, yeah, because once again, it wouldn't make sense for us to go straight into it with the Rock and Roll Express unless one of us was going to turn heel. And you know damn well it wasn't Ricky and Robert. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. So, um, so yeah. So I remember Cornette kind of told us this, and, and please fill in any memories that you might have. But I think leading up to it. Um, the match was made and then we had a couple of weeks to build it or whatever. It, it started with the cake presentation. If you remember. Okay. So there was, 
uh, Cornette come out and did a, there was no, um, we came out and it was the fine people of some town that we were filming TV had made a cake to welcome us to the territory. And Cornette came out to badmouth us and say that we were, you know, a bunch of no talent, never done anything. And, you know, you're just green as grass. And, and then you do the fake. Yeah, we're sorry, Jimmy. We didn't mean to do it. Why don't you have a piece of cake? We shove his face into the cake and we get the big pop for caking Cornette. And that led to the following week, two weeks later, whatever, on television, when we got jumped in the Morristown gym parking lot by the masked heavenly bodies that Cornette brought in to get revenge for us sticking his face in the cake. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so, so typical, you know, Southern thing or wrestling thing, whatever, whenever a cake comes to the ring, someone's getting their face stuck in it. And we're trying to find some of these promos on uh, YouTube. It's hard to find them. I'm sure they might be up somewhere. Maybe they're on the, the network, but it's, you know, super over the top choreographed that Lance and I are going to stick Jimmy's face into the cake. And I am like, you know, aping to the camera total scenery chewing just terrible over the top acting like should we put his face in the cake he's gonna eat the cake and then i'm making like cake munching you know motions with my mouth and we stick his face in the cake and i remember he even goes like huh whoa as we stick him in <laughs> like super over cartoony acting but it was great the crowd loved it and i don't think you can say you've been a pro wrestler if you haven't done the cake spot at least once so it was fun and it was also too because i was a huge midnight express jim Cornette fan doing an angle with jim Cornette was pretty damn cool well yeah and i remember when i was in in, in high school uh or sorry i first started in college i wanted uh, wcw came to winnipeg and i wanted to to do an interview for the newspaper so bob holiday was the local promoter and i asked him if he could get me a uh, uh, interview with a wrestler for the college newspaper and I suggested Brad Armstrong he came back and said well Brad's a nice guy but Cornette's the guy that you want he wants to he says he'll do it so Cornette did an interview with me basically you know in my college newspaper in, in 1989 and so for me even though gosh it seemed like decades later it was only five years later but to know that like oh I talked to Jim Cornette and now I'm actually working for him it was a pretty big buzz for me too yeah, and, and since the heavenly bodies were in the WWF, they had well done wear masks, and they jumped us in the parking lot. And I remember, oh, what was the dude's name? I think he was uh, the, the dude you lived with in Morristown. Cornette had them throw us into his car, and I dented the side of his car with my head. Oh, is it was it Anthony LaMonaco? No, the guy that worked backstage, Casey oh, Casey, uh, Casey O'Connor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, cool. they they ran my head into his car, and I actually dented it with my head. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they were under masks because they weren't officially in the territory. So uh, the idea was it was kind of like a hidden camera footage, like an original uh, bad boys, bad boys, original cops type of a format. Where I think a little kid, uh, her name, the, the lady who who was like the travel agent, her name was Pam. Remember that? Yep. I think it was Pam's like niece or nephew or something. She's like, go get, go get his autograph, go get it. And he's going to go get an autograph from Brian Hildebrand, uh, the late great Brian Hildebrand referee. And as Brian's being a good brother and signing for the kids, we're getting out of the car. And then kind of in the corner of the, of the shot, you can see this masked uh, duo attack us. I think they slammed your head in the door or my head of the door or that there was a trunk involved. And it was a pretty vicious beatdown. Yep, which set up the the great promos. You remember again? We were at your place shooting the promos, and Cornette's doing the the high end makeup, where he had 
balls of cotton that I had to like jam in my cheek. And then he had an <laughs> ashtray where he's using the, the ash from the, the old cigarette butts to put bruising on our faces to, to do these promos. <laughs> and once again, this is a do it yourself territory where Jimmy's writing, producing, acting, playing parts of the show and doing the makeup as well. <laughs> yes. We lived in the Smoky Mountain Flophouse, which was a uh, kind of a, a, I guess, kind of a, I don't want to say projects, but it was kind of a really low level, uh, like duplexes, I guess, kind of a development, a, a, a complex is what the word I'm looking for. And Row was, housing, townhouses, maybe? Maybe yeah. townhouses, that's it. And it was built into the side of a mountain. So we found, I found a giant spider in there. I found a nest of cockroaches. Uh, I found uh, a lizard, like a salamander. So it was like Wild Kingdom in that place. And everybody would just show up. If someone needed a place to stay, they would just come to the Smoky Mountain Flophouse and kind of just walk in and out of there. So even though technically there was just two or three of us living there, there'd be, you know, here's Bruiser Bedlam and here's the gangsters and here's D'Lo Brown and here's, you know, Dirty White Boy gets in a fight with Dirty White Girl and comes over our house to sleep on the couch for the night. <laughs> so you never knew who was going to show up. Yeah, thankfully I lived in Knoxville. I had, I had yeah. a nice apartment with a pool. And you were married too, so you were out of all that debauchery. But um, but they had us film this promo in 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 the living room of our house at the kitchen table, and uh, it's a great line because you know it's it's you know this is where we learn to cut our teeth on promos and no writers, no script. And I just remember saying, "Heavenly bodies, there's only two things in the world that don't forget: elephants and thrill seekers." And we'll never forget what you did to us. Yeah, and I didn't know the line was coming and the expression on my face when you said that. I was like, what the hell? I wish I could uh, I could see it. I should have done a little bit of preparation. I'm sure somebody has it on Twitter or something. But when you guys find it, uh, send it to us you know, on, on the Twitter at I am Jericho, and we'll post that as well. But You know, so, so that was kind of the, the, the breakdown of it and leading to the big, the big match, uh, like we said, in, in August, August 5th, 1994. And um, lo and behold, Cornet didn't have to do a naked dance to ACDC because the place, I mean, I don't know if it was a legit sellout, but they sure called it that, if I'm correct. Yeah, I remember it being that way. Now, I also remember, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, for our entrance, I remember us being like behind a curtain at first. So yeah. I don't know whether there was part of the building was sectioned off or not, but... I remember it being jam packed. So if if Cornette says it was sold out, then I don't I don't doubt that. Well, it's listed as five thousand. I mean, and the, the place might hold fifty five hundred. And I remember for sure. I mean, there definitely was, you know, double the people from the biggest one we ever had. Because if you remember this, the the, the month before, or maybe two months before, whatever, we had a show at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum where the OJ chase was going on. Do you remember this? Yes. Yes, I remember watching the the Bronco chase backstage. Yes, like live. Bronco chase is going on live. O.J. Simpson's on the run from the law. And Cornette had a great line on his podcast where he said, he said, O.J. Simpson still owes me $5,000 from the amount of tickets I didn't sell because people were too busy at home watching him run from the cops. It's kind of stopped people from coming to the wrestling show. That was a big deal, though. Oh, yeah. Huge. Once again, it was kind of the first time you'd ever seen a celebrity kind of you know lose it live on TV. So, so like I said, this, this crowd here at the uh, night of the legends was definitely the biggest that I'd seen from, from the shows that we'd done there. So, okay. So we, we, we get to the show and I had been going to Japan at the time and it was summertime in Japan and we were uh, at a swimming pool at a hotel. 
and there was a diving board. And Ultimo Dragon was doing a shooting star press at this time. He's one of those guys that could do pretty much everything and just wouldn't. Like he did, like he had to call himself the Cancun Tornado. He would do once in a while. And then like just out of nowhere, he does a shooting star press. And I'm like, where did that come from? He goes, oh, I do shooting star press. No problem. You can do it. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, you can do it. Easy. Shooting star press. Ah, you know, you know, you know, Dragon. Ah, no problem. Ah, no problem. You can do. Ah, come on. So I got it in my head that I could do a shooting star press. So I went with uh, with Anthony. He was uh, Anthony Michaels. And we went to the YMCA swimming pool. And there's a diving board, which, of course, a diving board at a pool has a lot of spring to it. So go to the swimming pool and I could do a picture perfect shooting star press off of a spring loaded diving board. So then, like an idiot, I just <laughs> figure I can do it in a ring with no spotter and no padding and just do it. So I had tried it once before on a house show and you saw me try it like beforehand. Yeah. And you came right down on your head. I was like at the back of the, the arena area, high school gym, whatever it was. And you weren't going to make it. You started twisting. You come right down on your head. And I thought you died. I like ran to ringside. I'm like, you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Yeah. And I think you had a little bit of mat burn on the one spot on your forehead, but I thought you died. And then I think, wasn't that when Cornette's ring truck broke down and we started, we didn't have a ring or it was a different ring for a while. And I think you couldn't try it again for like a week. Yeah, I remember that because there was one point, I'm not saying we wrestled on mats, but it was something along those lines where, 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 where that ring truck wasn't working. So, and, and, you know, and here's the problem. It's so crazy, too, because you, you know the, the, the story with my mom and everyone knows that she, she was paralyzed and was a quadriplegic. And I always had like a fear in the back of my mind that there's, hopefully that won't happen to me. And here I am doing this stupid move, basically trying to kill myself, like you said. And so lucky that nothing bad ever happened in that respect. But also, too, and it was the same thing. I remember when we were, when we were in wrestling camp and you did the one, well, one, we used to do the Air Pillman, as it was called at the time, which was the springboard dropkick. And then the one where you just jump straight from the ring straight onto the top post, the top rope. The top rope, yeah. Now, listen, everyone has different varying degrees of athleticism. But when you're first starting out, because you could do it, I was convinced if I can't do that, I'll never make it. And dude, I tried both those things a thousand times. Didn't even come close on the top rope one. I think I think I did three good springboards out of like 50 attempts. But still, it gets into your head. And that's what I was thinking. Like, I have to do a shooting star press or I'll never make it in wrestling. Just stupid stuff I'm sure you go through all the time with your students. Yeah, they they, they have all kinds of things they want to do that you don't really have to do and it, it, you, you've turned out okay <laughs> sans shooting star press i know right but then so we, we get to the venue and now like you said this is not a high school gym this is a legit arena i mean it's the civic center but it's an arena there's five thousand seats like we said and i decided to myself well i'm going to get there early i'll practice the shooting star press and i'll do it tonight on the show because if i don't do a shooting star press the show i'm never going to make it i have to do this <laughs> So I get there early. I go to the top rope. No, 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 no. Hang on. Oh, you geez. went to Cornette first. Do you remember? I don't. Please tell me the story. Were you there? Oh, yeah. Okay. You went to Cornette and said, hey, Jimmy, do you mind if I get in the ring and work on a few things you know, before we get started? And Jim Cornette said, yeah, sure. Just don't get hurt. <laughs> okay. Famous last words. Exactly. 
So I get up there and I still remember just standing there on the top rope because the shooting star press, for those of you who don't know, it's the move that Kidman did for years. Um, I don't even know if anybody does it now because now it's just kind of seemed blase. Like if you can't do like a 450 shooting star press, it's not even worth doing, right? Yeah, we got to do it with a full twist now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a move that Brock Lesnar tried to do at the finish of WrestleMania 19 and almost killed himself as well. Um, so you stand on the top rope, you're looking out and you kind of swing your head around and your legs go over the top. And, and I remember, I, I think I might've done it one time first and totally bailed, tried it again. And, you know, in my mind, it was like, ah, I, I did it, but my arm kind of hurts. I kind of landed like on my arm, on my shoulder or, or my arm kind of landed under my chest. And then I realized it's burning. And then I'm like, uh Oh, and I look at my arm and I see a divot in the arm. That's not supposed to be there. So when I say divot, it's like if you are walking on a flat pitch of grass and then suddenly there's a hole that's not a hole. It's like an indentation, something that's not supposed to be in my arm. And it wasn't there before I tried it. Now, did you see me do this, Lance? Yeah, I was at the I had just come through like the curtain area into the Coliseum area and I saw you go and, you know, you, you get upside down and then you kind of twisted to the side a little bit and landed like you would if you were doing a top rope drop kick. Okay. And because at first, like it wasn't quite going right. And I'm like, Oh, and then you like, you managed to turn and land safely. I'm like, Oh, okay, good. And then you rolled out of the ring and I could just tell something was wrong. So it's like, I came down to ringside. I'm you're right. And it's like, you're holding your one arm. And yeah, like if you look at your forearm, both sides are straight and the one side was straight, but the other side, like, went in on an angle like it was dented and i'm like you're like my arm looks weird and i'm like dude that's messed up and you're like but it doesn't really hurt and you would hold it and you'd push on it and your forearm would bend to the side (laughs) and i was just like dude that's not right and it was it was freaky yeah and i remember kind of just looking at it and like moving my arm up and down so it was kind of like swinging like if you had like a rubber pencil or something like something. Yes. <laughs> so i was like oh man i gotta go to the hospital and did you who gave me a ride to the hospital did you it was my wife tina tina did that's what i thought right because my memory is you didn't really want to go right and i'm like no you got to go get it checked out and we asked someone where the nearest hospital was and it was like a block or two away it's literally across the street yeah and so I think it's like I convinced you. It's like Tina will take you, and it's like I'll just stall Cornette if he asks. Don't worry about it. Just just go get it checked. So Tina drove you there, and I, I remember she still remembers it because we had a a stick shift in the the car we had. We had a standard, and she had just started learning how to drive it. And there was like a huge hill and a traffic light right before the hospital, and she was so stressed out having to you know <laughs> hold the car on a hill with the standard transmission. But she took you to the hospital, and I had to stall Cornette. Well, um, I guess I'll go from my side and tell me from your side. So I go to the hospital, and I wait there for a while, and then I go and see the guy, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I uh, did this move, I'm wrestling, and I, I landed on my arm, and and. You know, I just want to come check it out and see what I have. And he looked at it and he's like, oh, it's probably broken. But he said, the only reason why I don't think it's broken is because you're not in any pain. He said, if you if it was broken, you'd be screaming right now when I do this or this or this. Uh, let's go get an x-ray and check and we'll see. Maybe it's some kind of a, I don't know, a light fracture or a crack or something. Sure enough, go for the x-ray. And he's like, no, it's completely snapped. It's, it's a compound fracture. And he goes, I can't Displaced believe. Displaced fracture. What's that? 
I think it was a displaced because compound means through the skin. Gotcha. Displaced. Sorry. So yes, it's, it's a displaced fracture. It is, it is fracture. Uh, you need to get surgery on this. I'm like, what? Like when? He's like, well, like now. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. Hold on. I can't do that. I have to. And I'm like, if I tell him I have to go wrestle, there's no way I'm getting at her. So I said, I have to, you know, make this appearance at the wrestling show. He goes, what do you mean appearance? Well, I'm kind of a, it's called night of the legends and I'm kind of an up and coming legend. So I have to sit in the crowd and wave at people when they announce my name. And he's like, okay, well, make sure you don't do anything physical and we'll book you for surgery tomorrow at, uh, you know, 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it is. I'm like, okay. And he goes, okay, so let me just, uh, he goes, do you want me to put a cast, like a, a temporary cast on it? Uh, I can do a soft one, which is more kind of like a wrap with a lot of, you know, Velcro and, and, and straps and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So he gave me the, he gave me the, the uh, soft cast. He gave me some aspirin to kind of help with the pain. And uh, off I went back to uh, back to the venue. Meanwhile, what's going on on your end? Yeah, because back at the venue, Cornette's starting to round people up to do all the pre-tape interviews and stuff. And you know, there was you know the call on everybody get your stuff on. We got to do promos and stuff. So everybody get your gear on. So again, I'm Joe Keener. So I have got my gear on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the first one ready. Right. So when Cornette's ready to shoot, no one else has their stuff on. So he's like, "Well, where's your partner? Let's get these promos done." And I'm like, "Um." He's not here right now. He's like, what do you mean? So I have to tell him that you've gone to the hospital. <laughs> and he loses his sh- I'm like, no, no, he's just getting checked. He's coming back. Don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, God damn it. What the fuck? And he's freaking out. And so he goes off and does other promos. And it was Tina, I think, that came back and actually had to tell him that, yes, it's broken. And you have surgery in the morning. But I think you had sent her back to tell him it's like, yeah, it's broken, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to work. Don't worry. Right. So she had to tell Cornette that you actually broke your arm, but that you were still planning on working. And he, you know, lost it like Jim Cornette could only lose it. Yeah. But you were planning on working and you managed to make it back. Well, when I came back and I saw him and he's like, what the f- did you do? And I was like, well, don't worry. I'm still going to work. What do you mean you're still going to work? I said, I'm still going to work. I mean, it's it's uh, it's fine. Uh, it's broken, but I don't feel any pain. I'm going to work. And he's like, you sure you want to work? Yep. He's like, all right. I'm like, who would allow that? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that just shows the difference. It's 25 years ago, but it might as well be 200 years ago. Like nowadays, if you have like a stub toe, they won't let you in the ring if you're not cleared. Yeah. You've got to get metal clearance for everything. But back in the day, it's like, you know, road warrior Hawk worked a scaffold match with a broken leg. They cut the cast off in the locker room. It's like, oh, wow. Guy- Guys worked back in the day. So, yeah, you and you, because I had to talk you out of stuff because you were still wanting to do everything we had planned because it was that big spot we wanted to steal from the the Rockers Orient Express match from like Royal Rumble 90 or something. There was this combo spot where they go for the double belly to back. We flip and land on our feet, do a drop kick and then stereo dives off the post. And you were still planning on doing it. And I had to talk you out of it. Yeah, I mean, I was it was such in denial, you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's no way, like, I have to do this, and and once again, still not a lot of pain. And there was a lot of guys who came up to me backstage when I got back there, uh, showing concern. Terry Funk was one of them, who was like, "What happened, kid?" And I was like, oh, "I'm just being a dumbass." He goes, "I'm a dumbass for 35 years. Don't worry about it." Um, and then uh, Road Warrior Hawk who I think that's the only time I ever actually met him said you know it's pretty uh, 
shows balls for you to come back here. It's pretty cool or something along those lines. He just gave me kind of a favorable review, and it makes sense for the story that you just told me because um, I did not know that he worked a scaffold match with a broken leg. I'd never heard that story before. And then the best one was Brian Lee who came over. He's like, man, are you okay? Are you all right? Are you sure? Yeah, anything I can do? No, I'm good. They give you any pain pills? <laughs> I was like, why, well, yes, they did. Oh, got any extra? I'm like, you, actually, I think I even gave him like the whole bottle. Like I was so in denial. I'm not going to take any pain pills. And quite frankly, I don't think I ever did the whole time. No. I don't think I took a pain pill. I don't think you did either. Because that was, I, we were both dumbfounded. It's like even after surgery, you never actually felt like you were in pain. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, and, 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 you know, as we're getting ready for the match. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Now, there's you and I. And you're just doing, you know, you're, you're holding on to this match and, and I'm going to do it regardless. But now you got two other guys in, in Dr. Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey. And I was thinking about this. That's something, all the matches I've had and, and I've, I've had a couple where I had to carry somebody that was really hurt or, or something along those lines. But to be told that you have to wrestle a match and it needs to be a certain type of match. And one of the guys in this match has a broken arm. That's, I'm assuming, A, either they didn't care or didn't think twice or be kind of thought of it as a challenge. Like, I, I don't know. How do you think those guys felt about it? Did you ever talk to him about it? Um, never really specifically talked to him about it, but I, they, sh- they sure did a hell of a job. But yeah, the fact that you had surgery scheduled in the morning for the arm, like it wasn't just the, yeah, he's got a cracked bone in his arm. Right. It's right. Like you had surgery scheduled cause it was a displaced fracture. And I don't remember even talking to them before the match really much. I just remember, like I said, we're, we're going to keep as many of these spots that we have planned, planned. We're going to do it. And I, I don't remember them trying to talk us out of anything. I just remember them going, whatever you guys want to do, we're here to put you over, which is exactly what they were there to do. And that's the mindset to do it. Yeah. And I think, again, the the double dive, I talked you into rocket launching me off the post instead, because I was just afraid that on the landing, you'd snap your arm. And I'm like, dude, we could have bones sticking out here. Yeah, right. Right. And right, then right. jumping ahead to the finish, we changed it slightly, too, because I was concerned I might hit your arm. Because oh, you were supposed to do a super kick or something? I was supposed to do the springboard drop kick from the outside to bump Jimmy oh. into your roll up. And I'm like, what if I land on Chris? And well, so, so we did the super kick instead. I never knew that. Um, but I want to actually watch the match with you, Lance, and you can describe it to me. If you guys want to follow along at home, just go to YouTube and search the Thrill Seekers versus the Heavenly Bodies. It'll be the first one that comes up on YouTube. 19 minutes, 36 seconds long. That's the one Lance and I are going to watch. Well, let's. Uh, we've been talking about it, but let's let's watch this and kind of go through. Now, this is the first time I've seen this. Gosh, I might have seen it in the '90s. I don't think I've seen it since we were in Smoky Mountains. So let's say '95, maybe '96. But I would say the last time I saw this is pretty close to 24, 25 years ago. How about you? Uh, it would have been more than that because I'm guessing about. 10 to 15 years ago, I transferred all my VHS right. tapes to DVD, so I may have watched it then. But it's been at least a dozen years. Okay, so which which version do you have? I have one that pulled up that's 19 minutes and 36 seconds. Yep, that's the first one that comes up on the YouTube search. Okay, so you want to you press play and watch it? Sure. All right, we'll turn the commentary down. It's so funny, too. You see, like every, everybody at home, uh, I guess I should have said this before, is just go... Type in Heavily Bodies versus the Thrill Seekers. If it's 19 minutes, 26 seconds, you can start it with us here. So Cornette comes out wearing this ridiculous, like, 
gold sparkly pants and <laughs> he he thought that was cool i guess but once again well, that this, was his that was his wrestlemania 10 outfit oh was it yeah he wore that at mania 10 it's going out of the epilots the, the 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 sergeant pepper thing and then you get uh jimmy del rey was the epitome of a great territorial heel he, yeah, he really, really was. You know what I mean? He didn't translate to the big leagues too much, but in these territories, a lot like Muck and Singh. Like you put Muck and Singh in Calgary, you put Jimmy Del Rey in, 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 in Tennessee, they're top of the food chain. Yeah, and he'd actually worked FMW before us. That's when I first saw him. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, he looked like Ralph Mouth. Jimmy Backland. Yeah, because he's one of those Florida cats. So uh, Cornette here doing a, a promo, introducing his team as uh, Frankenstein plays. Jimmy's a big rock and roll guy. He was always really into the music. Well, that was us too. We were funded by Rick Rubin at this point in time. Smoky Mountain was. He was the uh, the silent partner that uh, nobody knew was funding funding uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yeah, this it, was. You can see like the terrible kind of crappy lighting. Uh, I like this kind of lighting, though, where it's just the ring and the arena's dark. That's like old school. I really like it. Listen, that's one thing I'm really, uh, once again, very thankful that we got to work in Smoky Mountain because it really was the last of the old school territories. It looks like it. It sounds like it. It smells like it. And that's not a bad thing because I learned. I mean, this is where I basically learned how to do a promo was from guys like Bob Armstrong and Tracy Smothers and dirty white boy and those type of guys like even though they're regional promos they were great talkers and you could really learn a lot from them yeah it was the only real sort of authentic territory i worked oh now rock america you hated this song oh, it's such a bad song i even told the guys from danger danger that i didn't like it and they have good songs but just this one didn't then we've fit. got the race car and they didn't have the barricade wide enough for the damn thing to get down the aisle <laughs> i didn't know that they're trying to push the barricade back to let the car in oh my gosh so the you think they want to try that in rehearsal yeah, the idea is it's real. I always wondered why that car wasn't moving. That's the reason why. Yeah, the barricade was pushed in too far. You can see the guy trying to push it back so they can get the car closer. And so he can drive in at 0.3 seconds per hour. And this is yeah, where. And, go ahead. Well, this is the swerve because we're going to come from the other side. And if you remember, we almost couldn't get through the people because they were jam packed at the guardrail so tight. Wow. Now, automatic, automatically, look how fast we're working. So fast. Oh, yeah. We're now, look, look at me. My right arm is broken and still doing all this stuff with a cast on and working flip. left. I'm like Mexican Jericho had a Chico. <laughs> <laughs> I have to throw punches with my left. I have to launch you with my left. Your right punches were stiffened up. We don't need the left ones. <laughs> there we are though. They said uh, on commentary that Chris Jericho has broken his arm in a motorcycle accident. Because we're thrill seekers and we do thrilling things. Well, you did. <laughs> nice catch by those guys, though. They totally oh, yeah. took care of me. Yeah. Now, see, even though, well, it's once again, it's one of those things. We know that I have a broken arm. Anybody watching this would not even pick that up at this point. I mean, there's there's nothing that happened. Like, okay, so Jericho's throwing left punches. Who's really going to notice that as a fan? Yeah, they might notice there's something white on your wrist, but they wouldn't know why. Yeah, exactly. So you can see that that soft cast there. And here I am with Dr. Tom. And once again, these guys just went, I'm, oh, dude, I remember because I was stomping the mat there. The vibration from the mat is hurting my arm because you're not supposed to be moving <laughs> it like that, you know? Yeah. This was also the first match of ours that uh, Jim Ross called, and I was a big fan of Jim Ross. So this was 
huge for me. Another reason why I was so bummed out to be uh, to be hurt like that. But did you see that? <laughs> you see that lockup I did where I gently placed my left hand on his on his uh, back, left chop. See, but look at these guys. This is the epitome of just stand there and do nothing and let the heels bump for you. Jimmy takes such great bumps, too. <laughs> this is the great Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand with his little mullet there. His mullets are still happening in the 90s because Jimmy's got a great one. Uh, Jimmy Del Rey's got a great one. And I still got Tom- my blonde ponytail. You still do? Oh, yeah. I didn't get rid of that to like 98. What was, your, what was your mindset behind the blonde ponytail? Well, I wanted the ponytail because I realized once I started that heels pull hair is a big part of the deal. And with the flat top, they couldn't do it. So ah. I grew up the ponytail. And then to make it stand out, I dyed it blonde because it was a, I was a huge Sting Mark. Right. And Sting at one point had the blonde flat top with the black scorpion tail. <laughs> so I was totally just ripping it off. <laughs> now, once again, guys, I want you to check this out as you're watching. This is 1994. So... I know you guys see a lot of moves and wrestling and stuff, but just just look at this match in 94. It's a pretty pretty intense, you know, there's a lot of great wrestling. I mean, look at you, man. Look at that. But this is too, this is like, again, Jimmy and, and Dr. Tom don't get enough credit. It's like, this is what heels used to do. It's like they were all about just shining us right? and making us look like a million bucks. That's what a heel is supposed to do to this day. Well, you know? it's, it's just not done that way as often. Yeah, it would still work if it was, though. Yeah, and you know? it was just so easy because it's like they, and again, they called a lot of it, just do this, do this. I'm like, yes, sir. You know, here's another thing, too. If this was filmed nowadays, they'd have a camera in the back of the hall with some lighting on the crowd so you could just see how expansive the crowd is. Because right here, you can tell that it's big, but it doesn't look much bigger than, like, the pavilion in Calgary during a Stampede Wrestling TV taping. Yeah, they really didn't. Oh, they probably had only two cameras. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They probably but yeah. Didn't, they could have yeah. highlighted this so much more. Just shows some how much things have changed. But it was even the way that we put together the match. Very smart. I do a you know a, a fancy quote unquote spot at the beginning where basically I just stood there and those guys bounced off me, and then you came in there and did the lion's share of, of the shine because you're not the one with a broken arm, so it works perfectly. Yeah, and and again, we needed you in the the heat for the. Uh, that's a great spot. The old oh, this spot's a great one, yeah. Double flip to the double arm drag. <laughs> they might have forgotten the clothesline after, I think. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> you Either ne- that or I, didn't, or I didn't wait long enough. Well, yeah, yeah, that's probably it, too. And you never had the uh, Steiner-esque uh, Stan Hansen-style clothesline to begin with. so No. Once again, there you go. Super kick party, baby. Forget the Young Bucks. We were doing this 25 years earlier. And I had just started doing it. It wasn't very good yet. Yeah, I don't think I had even done one either. You can notice, too, um, if you're seeing when I stood in the top row, I put my hand up in the air. Every time I put my hand up in the air, super blood rush. And it's, 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 not, <laughs> it's not good. And I remember my hand was getting really swollen at this point, too, from the blood rushing, which is probably why you're not supposed to do physical activity with a broken f-ing arm. Let alone gig later. Oh, geez, I know. Man. But, you know, look at all the clapping and the stomping. That was kind of what uh, people in the South, you know, uh, that old style of wrestling that people like being uh, kind of cheer- cheer-led, shall we say. I, I remember this crowd being really hot for this. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's when they, they were into it. How about that Jimmy ring? Had great punches, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never touched. See, but look at this. It's just constantly feeding you stereo, stereo, stereo. 
Yeah, kicking the hell out of both of them. Great, great, great heat spot there. Now, was all that stuff called? Do you remember, or were they just calling it in the ring? I remember that spot being mentioned ahead of time. But other than that, I think everything was just called. They'd always, old school heels would be like, you know, stop you, and they hip toss my partner, tag their partner, the partner would run in, and then they'd hip toss you. Or you yeah, hip toss both them. feet, yeah. To go on the, on the ground with no mats, just the cement floor. Yeah, I'm trying to think the first time they actually worked somewhere that there was mats. Probably Japan, maybe? They used to have mats. In yes. The, yeah. So I remember I did my very first dive in Japan because they had mats. <laughs> but, and I tried a plancha, and it's like, it was just the small little blue mats that Japan had. And it's like, I did the dive and landed and didn't land anywhere near the mats. And went, oh, I guess I don't need mats. <laughs> was that an FMW? Or Had to have been, yeah. yeah. So now this Actually, I think it was diving onto Hayabusa. Oh, Izaki. Yeah, he was. He wasn't Hayabusa yet. Yeah. He was just young boy. See, that's cool too. J- Jimmy, Jimmy did a moonsault back then. This is when moonsaults were getting a little bit more prevalent. You know, but not uh, not like now where everyone's doing them. But I didn't remember that they got a small heat on me first. Yeah, I, I didn't. The only reason why I know that is because Cornette talked about it on on the podcast. But yeah, that's I, kinda... I do remember you doing the comeback now, which. That's not, that ought to be look, look at all these double teams they're doing, you know? Yep, but this is again, this old Midnight Express type stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm not a guy who ever goes, you know, back, back in my day, but tag teams really don't work like this. You know, if 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 somebody was trying to, you know, do something interesting and new, watch some of these teams and do some of those do some of those uh, moves cuz no one does them now. Yeah, the Re- Revival does. Okay, well, and they were they're kind of hearkened as an old, old school style team as well, right? Oh yeah, and that'd be the reason why. So, and it's funny watching this back too. It's like because I'm obviously way smarter now. It's like they had to do this heat on me because like we needed to get that comeback in by you because if we just did the blood heat on you, there would have never been a comeback. Right. 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 Plus, it was a great red herring too. I know, like I said, looking at the looking at the booking, we we followed Rock and Roll Express uh, winning the tag team titles from from Candido and 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 uh, Brian. So, you know, the crowd might be a little bit burned out on tag team matches. So, I, I I would guarantee they probably didn't have a double heat. So, by us having that, it makes our match different from theirs. Yep. Jimmy Delray with his gigolo dance is always good. <laughs> gigolo Jimmy Delray. He won the tag team titles and wore it to the strip club. <laughs> yeah, he let the girls wear the belt uh, in exchange for a dance. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure when we did that, when we came in for that Sunday Bloody Sunday show, I think Jimmy Delray took us to, is it the Mouse Trap, which was a strip club? Mouse's Ear. Mouse's Ear. Yeah, you had okay. to buy a membership there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's... uh. With the, with the selection of uh, of uh, ladies at SMW, the only girls I ever hung out with were girls from the Mouse's Ear, <laughs> <laughs> which actually plays into a great story later on, which I'll tell after the match. But what do you think of that ring? Is that a pretty small ring, or is that uh, standard? Well, I think this was like an 18, so standard for WCW, but smaller yeah, yeah, than gotcha, WWF, gotcha. but also two way softer, because this is when WWF had the really stiff rings. So oh, okay. Uh, Tom and Jimmy saying they were just so happy to be back in this ring that they'd be willing to take some bumps. And oh, right. <laughs> Tom almost landed on you even after you moved. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think he expected me to move the other way. Right, right, right. 
I always love the uh, the 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 heel. Oh, there's the big tag. Boom. Look at these. At least I could do that because those punches ain't happening. <laughs> but you know, a smarter worker wouldn't even try and throw punches. But I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't have any. You're any fine options. with jumping spin kicks with a broken arm. Now, there's a clothesline for you. <laughs> one arm throws, one arm body slam. I mean, that's all him. Yeah, that that right there shows you how 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 good those guys are. Basically, taking slams by themselves. Just just a little bit of a comeback, not much, but enough. Mm-hmm. I think another one of the Jimmy always talks about the thing that really impressed him about me was that Sergeant Slaughter bump that I used to take. Yes. Where I would run across the ring and a guy would move out of the corner. I'd dive over the top, hit my head in the post and go to the ground. But he ixnayed that because I still wanted to do it. He said, no, we're just going to hit your head onto the guardrail instead, which was but a this smart. This was the show he was saving it for because he saw you do it early and he was planning on saving it for tonight. Yeah, yeah. He was mad because I did it like in Everett, Kentucky at a house show in front of 200 people. But now here's the classic. Uh, got the, got the scissors here and um, yeah. combination of shock. I think the day I've had taking aspirin in others. Oh, let me see me pushing the razor over to, to Brian Hildebrand there handing it off. Yeah. Um, and the combination of aspirin that I took at the hospital and then aspirin that I took before the show too. Yeah. Cause I think I asked you if you were all right. And you actually, it's aspirin, it's brother. aspirin brother. <laughs> I actually just said it right there. If you guys missed it, rewind it. You'll see, you say, are you all right? I say it's aspirin brother. But yeah, this was by far the most I've ever bled in my life. Cause if you see, People say like, oh, Jericho gigged with his left hand. That's why it's so bad. If you actually see the cut, it's very small. It's a very small cut. It doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, it's not like I'm writing the Gettysburg Address with my left hand. It's very easy to do. But I was so, whatever was in my system, trumped up, in shock, whatever it was, that's what caused all that blood. Yeah, I think other than the JBL Eddie Guerrero match, this is like the most blood I've seen. Because it think, keeps coming. It gets worse. I think at the term, it was a great Muda. I think Muda had hit a gusher one time where he actually hit some kind of a, a vein or something. But once again, I mean, with the exception of a few crappy punches, which a lot of people throw anyways with their good hand, you would never know that I have a broken arm in this. No. But this is also, too, where it's classic old school wrestling. It's like they just have to beat on you. That's yeah, it. They, they did all the moves and stuff with me, and they just beat you to a bloody pulp. And that was always the the point. Because yeah. I remember Cornette, Cornette had told us about this months before. Here's what we're going to do in the finish. And you're going to get the crap kicked out of you, and you're going to do that big Sergeant Slaughter bump, and then you're going to be bleeding, and you're going to be fighting back, but you can't do it. And they you know, try and end the match, and then you, you guys prevail. And he told us he had a vision for that from, from the start of, of this feud. God, you're a mess. Oh, God. But look at that. For those kids and the chicks in the, in the crowd, I mean, that's that's everything right there, you know? It's so easy to do when you have that prop of, of blood. Yeah, they're just they're starting to get covered in it. Oh, I know. There's one point in there where I, I, I shake my head no or something, and Hildebrand gets splackled with it all over. Yeah, I'm the only one that got out of here without getting blood all over me. <laughs> There's a classic picture in my book of you and uh, was it the Hornet or the Hornet? Brian, yep. something or other, carrying me out of here. And you got this look on your face like, oh, shit. 
Yeah, you know it's bad when the blood starts dousing your hair to where your hair is wet from blood. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Like, you're literally the crimson mask here. Yeah, and like I said, that's from a little, small, little nick of the razor, which pff, you could do it again and probably wouldn't even get anything. But it was just, just the, the combination of all the stuff that I'd been through that day. Yeah, again, we can talk about ass, but it's like, I think you probably could have went and got ass stitch. Yeah. But you, you ended up not. Well, the thing was, I was going to the hospital the next day. I'm surprised I just didn't have him do a double whammy. Yeah, no kidding. Because I, remember- I know Cornette, Cornette wanted to send you to the hospital. You're like, I got to go back in the morning. I'm not going again. Oh, did he? Yeah, I, I didn't know um, if he was, was going to pay for the, for the stitches because he wasn't going to pay for the surgery on the broken arm. And quite frankly, nor should he. That was on me. But the stitches he should have paid for had I uh, suggested it. Oh, my God, you're a mess. God, look at Brian with the suspenders and the bow tie. He was a great ref. He was an awesome ref, yeah. Yeah, very animated. The perfect size for a ref, you know? Yeah, you don't want the 6'4 ref. Remember when Bob Brown's kid used to ref bigger than the boys? It's like, exactly. that's not a good thing. Yeah, Cornette right there oh. just yelled at Hildebrand, check him and ring the bell. And there's, yeah, the bell. The crowd is so happy. Now, Jimmy was not happy with my uh, being over animated here. He thought I came back too fast. He he wanted me to be crawling and holding on to the pants and, and just begging, begging, begging. He said I was too animated at this point. But once again, dude with three and a half years experience, it's the best I could do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. God, you're a mess. And now here they go. Okay, you want some more, little son of a bitch? Here you go. Oh, my God. It's just dripping. Look at that. The springboard would have been so much better. Would you super kick him? Yeah. Yeah. But then if, and Jimmy said that they had three different cameras and all of them missed you kicking him. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even show it. Yeah, I, they missed it. They didn't get they it. They just told everybody I did springboard you. Now, once again, here here I am walking way too much. It's, it's, I could have sold the shit out of that better. You know, oh my God! Look at you. It's funny because I remember I was down on the mat on the ground, and there was like a little puddle, and some redneck was like put his finger in it and and like licked it or something, smelt it, or he's like, "Hey, that's that ain't blood, that's ketchup." Yeah, and right here when we're against the railing, there's a dude screaming in the crowd. It's like that's fake, that's fake, and I'm yelling at you. It's like throw your hair back and paintbrush that son of a bitch. <laughs> and you're like, "What?" I'm like, "Throw your hair back and paintbrush that son of a bitch." You're like, "What?" You never did. did. No. You'd have coded everybody in like 10 rows back. Oh, the big Hildebrand does the big promo there. <laughs> I think he kind of butchered it a bit, but he wasn't. He said he had enough, but he hadn't had enough. He was mad enough to keep fighting. And he beat you. And then Cornette kicks the post and it hurts his, uh, hurts his leg there. So, okay. So, so what we're talking about here, um, once again, in that situation, like covered in blood and, you know, the sympathy was there, but um, I think that if you watch that match back and don't know that I have a broken arm, it's pretty pretty basic story. Uh, Jimmy did not like it because he thought we were way too green, moved too fast and all this other stuff. But once again, he's involved in it. And he knew it was supposed to happen. What do you think about that, about the match? Well, I, yeah, I, I, it was good, but I, I think the drama could have been played out better. But, you know, 
we were green and, 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 you know, it was good. It could it have been better. Absolutely. But that's also too where, and again, not to pass the heat, so to speak, it's like, we were really given no direction on how to sell this. I think he just assumed we would do it as he envisioned it. Yeah. I don't remember him telling me like crawl on your hands and knees. And then like, cause obviously I would have done that. And to me too, like you lose a little bit of the detail when I'm thinking, shit, I got this broken arm. And I just want to get through it. Uh, but you know, I, I think it, it's definitely the most dramatic and most monumental of our matches uh, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And incidentally, it was my last match in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I never worked there again. Yeah, I remember you being really hot afterwards because we didn't do a post-match promo. And you're like, where's the promo? Mm. It's like, and, and again, you know, you wanted that drama. We needed you, I think, in the locker room, you know, laying on the floor, cutting a promo. Yeah, I thought what a missed opportunity because I thought I could be in the shower. It looks like a freaking slaughterhouse. And because like you said, that's one of those gigs that you could try to do that, you know, a hundred times and you're not going to get that. We just got lucky and had that that reaction and had that drama from it, you know. Um, And then I remember we had to go out afterwards and still sign gimmicks and take pictures at the merch table. And did you really? Yeah, I remember. I remember I had to. Uh, or if I didn't have to, it was before. It was some point during the night I had to go sign. I think it was before. Okay. But I still had the broken arm and still knew. Yeah, that's it. So I still had the broken arm, still had to go surgery. And after working there for six months, seven months, and getting yelled at by Cornette for not uh, uh, servicing the rats, shall we speak, <laughs> because they weren't, uh, you know, they were uh, well-fed country girls, shall we say. Yeah. I hate to do this to you, Chris. Can I? I need a pause for like thirty seconds. Sure. Okay. Just give me. I'll be one minute tops. Yeah, sure. So the funny thing is that that after all this time with with you know Cornette yelling about the girls and all this stuff, I go and do this this signing beforehand, and these two girls came over to me and they were like, "I'm not going to say they look like." Daisy Duke from Dukes of Hazard, but they look like Daisy Duke from Dukes of Hazard. There's two of them, and they might have even been wearing Daisy Dukes for all I know. I don't know for sure. I just remember thinking, finally, some hot country girls. And they wanted to meet me after at Cotton Eye Joe's, which is one of the bars in town. And I was like, dude, I'm in. Finally, I get a chance to hang out with some hot chicks here. And lo and behold, stupid me breaks my freaking arm and gets a cuts a geyser and have to go stay at your house overnight so you can give me a ride to the freaking hospital at 7 a.m yeah because we bandaged you up we went to shoney's afterwards oh my gosh did did cornette give us any feedback do you remember any reaction afterwards from any of the guys or anything from from jimmy or tom i don't the only thing i remember is when we got back into the locker room there was the you know the shower room that had the the thing in the middle it was just one big tiled room and you went in and hung your head down and then threw your head back to get your hair out of your face and left like a red stripe up the wall across ceiling and down the other side but yeah i remember like saying thank you and, and and so forth but other than that i don't remember much i think it was such a daze because you know it's at stake right of having this broken arm and all this stuff and so we went to Shoney's and then we went to the hospital and, and, and you dropped me off for, uh, for, 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 for arm surgery. Yeah, we went to Shoney's. Uh, we went back. You stayed at my place because you lived out of town. I lived in Knoxville. And I took you to the hospital in the morning for your surgery because they said it was just day surgery. You'd be in and out in a few hours. So I waited because I was going to then drive you to Johnson City, Tennessee to be in my corner. Right. Yeah, I was going to make that show. How, yeah. they, how in the hell would they think it's day surgery when I'm getting a steel plate put in my hand, uh, my arm? 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but because I'm sitting there waiting. And then after the surgery, the doctor comes in. He's like, you need to talk your friend into staying. I'm like, what do you mean? You said he could go home afterwards. It's like, well, with a surgery like this, there could be complications. And if, you know, the tendons or the nerves or whatever, he says his hand could start curling up and we'll have to go back in. And if we don't do it right away, he could end up with permanent, like, club hand. Mm. And I'm like, shouldn't you have mentioned this to him before? And they're like, well, yeah, but you need to talk him into staying because he wants to go. And they pull me into the recovery room and you're still like still drugged up from surgery. You're like all dopey laying there. You're like, dude, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, how is this my call now? <laughs> like, I don't know how much this is going to cost. I don't know if you have insurance. And it's like, I'm like, well, you don't want your hand messed up. Maybe you should stay. And you're like, okay. And then I'm like, I guess I'm leaving him here. And I had to hop in my car and drive to Johnson City, Tennessee. You know, it's so funny, too, because I remember like I've, I've, I've had surgery once or two times after. I don't remember. But you, you stand there and they say, you know, count back from 100 and or you're lying there. You go 100, 90 and you're done. And then I woke up and I remember just looking at my arm and had the big cast on. And I was just screaming, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And it's like, you have to calm down, sir. I know, but but I'm alive. I was just so excited that I was still alive after the surgery. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So uh just as we wind down here, you end up going to Johnson City and it was supposed to be Thrill Seekers versus Bodies uh, a, a return match. Who did you end up working that night? Uh, I worked with the Bodies. It was the Fire on the Mountain show and it was the I started in the handicap match against the two of them. And it's it's a Cornet Classic spot. I've even used it booking here locally, but you start as a single or a handicap and when you're at death's door, a babyface runs out and hops on the apron. It was Tracy Smothers and does the hot tag spot to blow the big comeback. And then I end up uh, getting back in and making the pin for the victory. So I, I beat the heavenly bodies the following night. And then I think the third night, because this was that fan week, you know, 10 shows in 10 days or whatever. You were at ringside for the rest of them, but you missed the one one because of your surgery. He came back and got me, and then we went down the whole loop. And yeah, like you said, I was I was the surgery boy from from then on, broken arm. And uh, I was, I think I probably ended up leaving Smoky Mountain um, uh, beginning of September or so, and yep. uh, and and that was it for me. I was done. I, I was gone forever from Smoky Mountain. And you stayed a little bit longer, basically as a single, if I recall. Yeah, I stayed as a single until November because I had like moved my wife, my belongings and everything. Like you could have packed up and put all your stuff in a car in like a day probably. Right. So I stayed through till November and then Cornette just couldn't afford me anymore because he'd lost the Rick Rubin backing and so forth. So I stayed till November. But yeah, that was that was pretty much it for you, you know, a, a couple of weeks later because you were going to go back to Japan. Yeah, and that's what happened. Yeah, I went to Japan and, and kind of uh, stayed there and because and, and, I, I at that point in time, I'd already told Jimmy that that I wanted to to go to Japan, and he was cool with it. But I had to miss some tapings, and uh, I remember just telling him, "Like I'm gonna have to miss, you know, your next TV taping." Which in that day and age, he'd do four tapings a week, so you're basically out of commission. Which of course would have screwed you up as well. And I think at that point, my goal was always to work in New Japan. And then I think there was some stuff about the Night of the Legends thing that kind of bugged me. I don't think Cornette really showed much concern. I think he was still pissed off at me. He didn't, from what I recall, he didn't offer to pay for my my stitches. Maybe maybe he did, but. I just thought, you know, when the time comes, you know, it's time to split. And for me, it was time to split. And it was kind of the end of the run there. And that's where I really gained a ton of respect for 
Bob Armstrong. Yeah. Because he, he was only in for a couple of shows. So we didn't see him a lot. And I remember, I think it was after you'd left or just after you had the surgery. It's like every time I saw Bob, it's like Bullet would always ask, how's your partner doing? You know, I just want to make sure he's all right. And he checked up on you way more than than Jimmy or anybody else did. And I always thought that was a real class act. And I've always just been a huge fan of the Armstrong family since because they all, they're all like that. Yeah, he was the only guy that ever called me from Smoky Mountain and asked how I was doing. And I always, I'll never forget that. Like you said, always got a special place in my heart for, for Bob and all of his kids because of it. So, um, but once again, I mean, if you're going through the, the kind of the pantheon and the story of our careers, I know I hold Smoky Mountain in, in very high regard for what I learned there. Uh, the experience of kind of being in the last, in the last official territory, shall we say, uh, in that area. And, you know, dude, we got a chance to go all the way to the top and work against Jim Cornette. And even though it was just the one match, it's probably one of the most famous matches and one of the most legendary matches in Smoky Mountain wrestling history. Yeah, I learned so much there. It's like so many places. And that's the key. It's like, you know, I I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have that time. So I'm super grateful for it. Uh, Last question for you. Who is your favorite uh, person to work in Smoky Mountain? I think I probably had the most fun with Candido because I did a lot of work with him after you left. I, I did uh, a lot of runs with Chris and we lived in the same apartment complex. So we spent a lot of time together. We trained together at the gym. So I, I really liked, cause I learned a lot having the, the heavenly bodies call me through those matches for those 10 days. But afterwards I worked a lot with Candido and that was so much fun. Yeah. It's, it's my regret that I didn't get a chance to work us versus heavenly bodies more because just by watching that, you could see just how good they were. And they were, they were a world-class team that, you know, if they were in WWE today, probably would have, you know, talk about the revival. They would have been that style of a team that would have gone a lot farther because they were very small back in 1994 for, for, you know, what the WWE was doing at the time. So, um, and I, I, I honestly had fun working with Well Done as well, especially Steve Dahl. I thought he was a pretty smart guy. And um, I'm not sure exactly what I learned, but I learned a little bit about ring awareness and presence and just, you know, what, what a good heel does and what a good, how he feeds a baby face and kind of a, um, a poor man's version of the heavenly bodies. You know, they, they were, they were another great regional tag team that would never really done much outside of it. And they didn't, but to work with them uh, in, in that time frame was a lot of fun too. Yeah. Although just to, it's, it's going to end on a sour note, but it's like, other than Dr. Tom, the other three of them are all gone. I know. I know. I was just looking at that lineup. If you go to who was actually even on the show on that night of the legends, I mean, um, let's see if I had it here, just looking it up. Yeah. Cause Doug Furness is gone. Terry Gordy is gone. Road Warrior Hawk is gone. Both are, uh, Jimmy Del Rey is gone. Yeah. It's said uh, Brian Hildebrand. God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, just it's you never really notice it until you see all the names together. Yeah, so I think Chris Walker is gone. Is he dead? I'm not sure. Wouldn't be surprised because it sounds familiar. Yeah, furnaces. I mean, I, I think Killer Kyle is. He might even be passed away. I'm not sure, but Dick Slater is, Stomper is, Candido is. Oh, geez, yeah. Jimmy God. is, like you said. Uh, um, Terry Road is, Wars. Hawk, Bruiser. Yeah. Jeez, oh man. yeah, bruiser too. Jeez. Yeah, a lot, a lot of dudes gone. But you know, we learned learned from all of them. It was a, it was a good time in our careers for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important time and such such a fun time too. Driving to all those towns, yeah, making those towns. You learned a lot of Rock and Roll Express. Driving them, we're driving Dick Murdoch around a couple times. Like, you know, the, you don't get a chance to be with guys like that anymore. You know. 
Yeah, and actually, I just they um, just shared it. it was you know Don Callis was somewhere in California and they were playing basketball. Do you remember we used to get to the some of the gyms early and it's yeah. like we'd shoot hoops with the boys. Yeah, yeah, shoot hoops and listen to uh, to Ricky Morton tell all his stories that he still tells the exact same ones <laughs> thirty years later. But Punky uh, and Hoot, yeah, <laughs> you, those guys were so much fun to be around. God, they were funny. Yeah, man, I think I think we would have had even a better relationship with them the more, longer we were there. Because once again, we came in, they're probably thinking, "Who the hell are these guys?" But once we, I think I think we proved a lot with that match. Um, and then, unfortunately, that was kind of the last one that we ever had there. But I think whatever respect we didn't have before Night of Legends, we definitely got it uh, during it and after it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, dude. Well, thanks for taking me to the hospital. I appreciate that. And uh, even though I would have rather have went with the, the Daisy Duke chicks uh, other than them, I'm glad that uh, that you were there to help me out. Yeah, that'd be a story you probably couldn't share. So you ended up uh, better off. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, brother. All right, you can see Lance and some of his Storm Wrestling Academy students in the new Amazon comedy series, Paper Champions. Debuts on Amazon Prime on August 30th. Check that out. And of course, go to stormwrestlingacademy.com if you're interested in training with one of the best of the biz. He just announced he's closing it. One more session that starts September 9th. We'll have to have Lance back to talk about the history of SWA. Uh, and I'm here right now to talk about the history of Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Part do it, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We are 97% sold out. Uh, we are loaded down with talent. The newest of all, uh, the new host, comedian, uh, huge superstar comedian, Gabriel Iglesias, has been announced as the new host, which is huge. AEW is going to be there. Ric Flair is going to be on the ship. NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, uh, Jake the Snake, Vicky Guerrero, MVP, uh, Conrad Thompson, you name it. Uh, Shaw Guerrero is going to be there. Chavo Guerrero. Uh, we got such a huge lineup. Uh, DDP is going to be on board. Fozzie's playing, Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, Kick-Axe, Light the Torch, Dave Spivak Project, Jared James Nichols, uh, Beyond the Darkness telling ghost stories on the boat. There's so much stuff going on. AEW, all the top stars, Kenny, Cody, Young Bucks, Hangman Page. Make sure to book your cabin. There's less than uh, 40 cabins left at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't get left behind. And don't get left behind when Fozzie comes to town. Play with Nickelback August 22nd and the 24th, Uncasville and Atlantic City. Unleashed in the West kicks off in September, September 5th, Denver, September 6th, Colorado Springs, September 7th, Grand Junction, Colorado, September 8th, Salt Lake City, Utah, September 11th, Crystal Bay, Nevada, September 12th, San Francisco, the 13th, Sacramento, 14th, uh, uh, Bank of California Stadium with Iron Maiden in uh, Los Angeles, 15th is Las Vegas, 18th is San Diego, 19th, Tempe, Arizona, 20th, Tucson, Arizona, 21st, El Paso, 25th, Dallas, 26th, Houston, 27 Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and 28 Atlanta, Georgia. All ticket and VIP information at FozzyRock.com. And the new Fozzy song will be coming out very, very soon. I just heard the final mix uh, today, and it's amazing. I think that comes out in the next couple weeks. So I'll keep you posted on that. Don't forget about uh, The Rock of Jericho every Friday, well, every second Friday at 6 o'clock uh, on Octane, Sirius XM Octane. And this Friday, the return of Exorcist Rachel Stavis. She's got more creepy stories about tackling entities and demons how you can actually help yourself if you think you have an unwanted attachment. It's the real deal. Actual exorcist Rachel Stavis returns on Friday. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, in the between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. The only thing that never forgets is elephants and thrill seekers, heavenly bodies. I am. Yeah.